So this was the last of the laneway commissions. It was commissioned in 2011 and over the nine years of the laneways program, which was a really incredible program that opened up space for, for artists to develop temporary works, not one Indigenous or Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artist had put in an application during that entire nine years. So there was acknowledgement that this was an issue. So the city then shaped their last laneways program, focusing on that specific community. And they were dedicated to showcase artists from these communities, placing their art and culture firmly in the public domain. And it's from the research that I was looking at, which is going back to that time of around 2011, 2012, this was the time also of the very first Indigenous, Melbourne Indigenous Arts Festival, um, which is now kind of formed into Yerimboy. And there was a public, public talk that happened as part of Melbourne Conversations about those laneways. And the discussion pivoted on how Aboriginal people had long been rented invisible in the city. And Stephen Payton, who was one of the commissioned artists, said the artworks proclaim that they're still here, these are our stories, and this is our culture. And Aboriginal writer and academic Tony Birch observed that these artists have intervened in telling the city's story and making sure their own stories are part of it. And I think it's really important that those works remained in the city's fabric for as long as possible. So Rico Rennie's work, while it was supposed to only have about a three or four months window, was extended till about 2016. So it was located on Crocker Alley and extended up this private um, building's facade. And we would tend to it, make sure the neon was working, but the work in the end was still owned by the artist. And it's actually quite interesting to realise that the laneway commissions, the artist still owned the work, which ended up meaning there's all sorts of really funny stories about artists, like artworks ending up in grandparents' backyards and, and the like. But as Rico still owned the work, we had to end up getting the work re-licensed every couple of years. And it got to a point, one where it was unfeasible to actually permanently install it because it was on a private property. So it's this really interesting thing about where the site is, where a work has to be re remained. And it was deinstalled in 2016, regretfully. Um, and now it's with the artist. And now it's with the artist, which does mean that I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't end up at the somewhere NGV. else. <laughs> yeah. This concludes our walk today. We've unpacked some of the factors that make art public whether that's through patronage, direct action or commissioning. A number of these projects have influenced and provided context for my work at the City of Melbourne and this work continues with the development of a series of guides for you to work with and within civic systems. So it's now over to you to finish the story. Many thanks to Sarah Workmeister as respondent, M Pavilion for hosting the Public Art Field Guide, Sophie Gleason for audio production and RMIT School of Design for their technical support. <laughs>